find your way to 1 Corinthians 13, Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. If you know anything about the Bible, done any uh, even moderate study of the content of um, the Scripture, you will know that the church at Corinth was as they like to say in the South, a teetotal mess. <laughs> they had problems. Matter of fact, it's encouraging as a pastor to read about the church at Corinth and realize we're not the only one. Um, we're going to continue in our, our sermon series. Today I want to talk about what's, what's love got to do with it. 1 Corinthians 13. And uh, let's just read through that this morning. The first three verses are the key that we're going to look at. It says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and, and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains. That's some faith, isn't it? But have not love, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all of my goods to feed the poor... And though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me how much, church? Nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy, does not parade itself, is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely and does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And love, here it is, never fails. It never fails. Now here's a few things that will cease. <laughs> but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. I prophesied that the Carolina Panthers would win the Super Bowl. That was a big fail. I'm glad all I did was prophesy and didn't put any money on it. Uh, whether there are tongues, they will cease. I know there's some people you think of, won't that be a blessed day? <laughs> if you're sitting next to them, don't look at them right now. And whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away these childish things. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. Now abide faith, hope, love. These three. But the greatest of these is what? It's love greatest of these is love. Dr. Carl Menninger, you may recognize him as a world famous psychiatrist. Matter of fact, there's a picture, there's his picture there. He said this, he said, love is the medicine for the sickness of the world. And remember, Dr. Menninger dealt with the issues of the mind the sicknesses of the mind. And he said, love is a medicine for the sickness of the world. And then he summarized, he believed that so much that that became his therapeutic approach. And he summarized his therapeutic approach this way. He said, love cures. It cures those who give it, and it cures those who receive it. Why don't you think about that for a minute? Love cures those who give it, and it cures those who receive it. So I guess you could say love is good medicine, isn't it? Um, it's been said that the three most powerful words in the English language are I love you. However, talk is cheap, isn't it? And love is more than talk. We are so confused about this word love in our society today. Um, we confuse love with, with a physical act of sex or with money or with gifts. Um, many people don't understand love. 
and they're even afraid of it because they've never seen it done well. I want you to ask yourself that question. Have you ever seen love done well? And if you haven't, it can be a fearful thing. But even, it's strange to me, even with all of our counterfeits and our distorted ideas about what love is and what it is not, even with all of that, it still is what we need, isn't it? It's still something we seek after. It is something that I believe has been put into the heart of a human being to desire. It is a need to be loved. And not just the word love, but the real thing in all of its glory. So what we need to do is we need to understand what love is so we can recognize it. And then we need to learn how to speak love and pass that on to people other people in our lives. Does that make sense this morning? So that's what I want to try to do. Uh, So in order to do that, as we look at our text, many of us know these verses by heart. We memorized this as a family many years ago. It's one of the most famous, outside of John 3.16, I'd have to say, 1 Corinthians 13, it's probably the most recognized or familiar. Would you agree with me? Uh, Passage of Scripture. Where do you normally hear 1 Corinthians 13? Red in all of its glory at a wedding, right? Um, you, you hear that a lot there. We know, we know these verses. And yet I wonder, I wonder if we really pondered and meditated on the deeper meaning of this passage of Scripture. Uh, we've heard it so much. It's the old saying that familiarity breeds contempt. Um, I, I wonder if we've forgotten what it means. So I want to revisit this uh, famous passage of scripture today. And uh, just to show you how easy this, this Paul's logic breaks down, you can, we can outline it. And the outline is, is quite simple. In the first three verses, which is all we're going to look at today, we see the preeminence of love. Why love is the most, it's the penultimate characteristic. And it's going to tell us why. And then in, in verses Uh, 4 through 7, we see the practice of love, what love does and what love doesn't do, the do's and the don'ts of love. We have several. We'll look at that next week. And then the last one, verses 8 through 13, we see the permanence of love. Love is going to be around forever. Love never fails. But before we jump into this text, we need to to look at this idea of love for a moment. What, What is love? What is love? Um, as, and, and you think about it, we call, there's a whole genre of music called love songs, aren't there? What the world needs now is what? What's love? Y'all need to spend more time on a Christian radio station. I'm just saying, you're, I didn't think there would be that good of a response. Um, one of my favorite love songs from one of my favorite singers, John Denver called Annie's Song. I'll, you, you fill up my senses like a night in the forest. Although I spent a night in the forest and, and I was basically petrified. Um, so I'm not quite, maybe that, maybe that applies. I don't know. But there's a lot of love songs out, out there. Why, why do we write so much about love? Why do we sing about love? Why, why do we, why do, why does love motivate get ready for even men to write poems about it? is it about this thing? What is love? Um, Some people say love is a feeling. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I don't think it's a feeling. I think think the feelings of, of love are the benefits, but they are not the definition. Others would say that love is an emotional attachment. And again, I think we're getting closer, but we're not quite there. At the end of the day, love, love is a choice. But I want to assert to you, as I will at the end of breaking these three verses down, that it's a choice that you do not have the ability to make of your own volition, your own will. And that sounds a little crazy, doesn't it? Hey, wait a minute, preacher. You're going to stand there and tell us all about love and then tell us we can't do it? Yeah exactly what I'm going to do. Because we have to identify what kind of love are we talking about. Do you realize there are different types of love? 
Um, in the Bible, even, there are three types mentioned. In Greek language, there are four. Let me walk you through the four types of love in the Greek language. The first type, <coughs> you'll see up there, is eros, from which you get the word erotic. And that is a physical, sensual, or sexual love. By the way, interestingly enough, that word's not in the Bible. It doesn't even show up in the Word of God. However, it is God's idea. The second word is uh, the word storge, um, and it is a friendly affection. And um, this word is used in the New Testament for the warm affection that should exist between followers of Christ. This means we just like each other. This is the friendly kind of love. You know, we just like hanging out together. It's the people you watch the Super Bowl with. Did y'all watch the Super Bowl with people? Yeah, Linda came to my house. Y'all want to know something about Linda? She knew every word to the halftime show. I was so impressed. I said, I'm taking her on Jeopardy with me one day, man. She knew every, I was so impressed. I knew one song and only part of it. But she knew them all. I was so impressed with her. So I, I like Linda. We have, that, we have that friendly affection to each other as, as brothers and sisters in Christ. Then there's another word from which a, a whole city was named in the United States. It's in Pennsylvania. It's Philadelphia. And that's the Greek word phileo or philos. It's that familial, that family kind of love. You know what they say? They said blood is thicker than water. It's a... It's a deeper kind of love. It's, it's, it's uh, a word um, that is used in the New Testament for our love for God and for brothers and sisters in Christ, and specifically those within our own family. It's deeper than storge. It's more than a friendship. It's a committed relationship. Are you with me? Do you remember when Peter was confronted by Jesus on the shore of the Sea of Galilee that morning after the resurrection. Jesus had been resurrected. He said, go to Galilee. I'll meet you there. And he goes, and they're out there fishing. Or Peter says, I don't know, guys. I'm going fishing. I'm going to go do what I know. You ever felt like that? And he gets out there, remember, and Jesus is at the shore, and they're fishing, and they caught nothing. And Jesus is there, and John recognizes that it's Jesus. And the Bible says that Peter just jumps in the, just dives off the boat. He's still impetuous, Peter, and he swims the shore. Remember this? And, and Jesus already has breakfast laid out for him. Boy, there's a lesson in that. God doesn't need our help, does he? He's already got bread. Peter's fishing all night, catches nothing. Jesus has fish on the fire. And, and Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? But he doesn't use this word. He uses the next word which is the word agape. And that is a self-sacrificing love. Now, now, take the Bible glasses off and think about this for a minute. Peter, the last time he had seen Jesus before his crucifixion was right when they locked eyes, the rooster crowed, and Peter had denied him three times. Right? And so Jesus has his breakfast all prepared for Peter. And he says, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me with a self-sacrificing love? Uh, let me think about that, Jesus. And last time I saw you before you were crucified, I had just denied three times that I knew you and I was making running away to save my own life. So no, I sure don't. Not with that kind of love. So he answers him, Lord, you know that I love you. But Peter uses number three, philos. I love you with that family affection, but I certainly don't love you like you love me. You seeing the difference? Here's something that's interesting. This word agape, um, it's, it, it is this love that reaches out to another person, and get this now, with no strings attached. And we're, we're studying this book on Wednesday nights called Equipped to Love. And the subtitle is um, The Art of Making Idolatry-Free Relationships, which is another way, and Norm fleshes this out in the book, teaches you how to love with no strings attached. 
That's agape love. Another interesting thing about the word agape is it really wasn't used in the Greek language until the first century. Until the first century. And it started showing up right around the time that Jesus showed up. Isn't that interesting? And the reason it wasn't used is because it was such a far out, outside the realm of human possibility kind of love. There was no context in which it could be accurately used in the Greeks if nothing else, we're all about being accurate. Nobody loved anybody with that self-sacrificing love. Isn't it interesting? Until Jesus comes along, and all of a sudden that word starts showing up in Greek language, traced right back to Jesus of Nazareth. Isn't that fascinating? And then when Jesus dies and goes, ascends to heaven, all of a sudden this word agape begins to be used of his followers, so much so that they mocked these crazy people who loved each other like that and called them little Christs. From which we get the word what? Christian. Do you see it? Isn't that amazing? So, but Paul, as he's writing, again, first century, Jesus is ascended. He's writing to the church at Corinth. They understood this concept of this agape love. And that's how Paul describes this kind of love in 1 Corinthians 13. It is love that, get this, starts with God comes down to us and only then does it move out to other people. But one of our problems with 1 Corinthians 13 is we've heard it too much and it's lost its power. So let me let me read it read this section to you. These first 3 verses from uh, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of the Bible called the message. And Peterson takes these 3 verses and he renders them this way. To see if it doesn't take us out of the norm and help us to really look at these verses differently. He said, If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I have faith that says to the mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't have love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Really, this, the whole point of these three verses can be boiled down to one sentence. And, and here it is. What I do, what I say, and what I am is all useless without love. My, my words, my actions, my identity, my whole life without love is absolutely meaningless. So let's look at this, these three verses, and break them down for just a few minutes and see if we can't see where love inter, interacts with these three ideas. Here's the first one. Love is greater than eloquent communication. Love is greater than eloquent communication. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging Symbol. What is the point of communication? Somebody tell me. When I say I want to communicate to you, what am, what am I saying? Let you know. What else? Share. Share what? Thoughts, feelings, information. In other words, let's just break this down. We do premarital counseling, which I highly recommend. It's cheaper than a divorce. It really is. I don't know, not just financially either. Giving you some tools in your toolbox to use. One of the biggest things that I deal with when I'm counseling couples before they get married is the idea of communication. Communication is very simple. It's, I've got something in my mind, and I want to share it with you so that you get the same thing in your mind. There's the rub. It's very hard to take what you're thinking. Have you ever miscommunicated? If you're married, you have, I guarantee you, probably this morning. 
Yeah, miscommunication. Well, I'm saying one thing, and you're what? You're hearing another thing. And part of the problem, which is a beautiful thing in a strange way, is that God made men and women, some of you don't know this, differently. See, you learned something in church. Aren't you glad you came today? Y'all are not the same. Praise God. I'm so thankful we're not the same. But I'm going to tell you what. It took me, I'm ashamed to tell you this, but I was married a decade before that really hit me. How different my wife and I. See, I'm an extrovert. You all know that. I love to be up in front of people. I love to go out to coffee with people. I, like, I just like people. I just like hanging out. I get my, an extrovert gets their batteries charged by hanging out with folk. How many of you are extroverts out there? All right. Yeah, see, they're the first ones to put their hands up. Now, I'm going to ask the next question. And the real introverts, they're not even voting. <laughs> yeah, I love to be around people. Now, an introvert is the opposite. It doesn't mean they don't like people. It just means that they get their batteries recharged by being alone. They need their alone time. Guess what? My wife is an introvert. So how many of you say, yeah, I, I'm, I'm one of those people. I get my batteries charged by being alone. Raise your hand. See, you've got to force them to raise their hands. Yeah, and it's okay. God makes us different. And for 10 years, I thought my wife didn't really like me. I'm not kidding you. Because I, I was like, let's go hang out together. Okay. Well, what I didn't realize is she needed her time alone. And every time, and, and, and it would get so bad that she finally would say, I just, need to, I just need to go out by myself. And being Mr. Extrovert, I thought, well, I've, I've done something. Only the Lord knows what it is, but I'm sure I've done something. I've done ticked her off because she, she, she don't want to hang out with me. No. And, and whenever I realized that, a very wise man, Christian man, started to help me understand that we were really, really were different. And that she wasn't rejecting me. Matter of fact, if I would be a really wise husband... I would make sure that she had time during the week more than once to get off by herself and recharge her battery because the woman that came back is going to be a whole lot more uh, open to communication and fellowship than the one that, 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 that left. So I began to plan times for her to go out and recharge her batteries, and that's why we're still married 27 years later. Anybody following this? We're just different. The, the goal of communication is to take the idea in your brain and put it in someone else's brain. To share life together. And, and this whole idea here is that love, love is way better than doing that perfectly. I can perfect, think about it, I can perfectly communicate my ideas with my wife, but if there's no love behind it, I like how Peterson puts it. I'm just the squeaking of a rusty gate, which basically is just aggravating. You following that? That made sense to me. I mean, I, I really admire our missionaries who love God so much that they go to another country and literally spend the first two to three years of their time there doing nothing but learning the language. I've, I've spent a couple of, uh, I've spent a couple of uh, weeks in two different summers in the jungles of Brazil. First time I went was the most amazing thing because I had never been a minority in my life. And I'm an extrovert. I like to talk. I can't talk with these people. They speak Portuguese. What somebody lied to me and said it's a lot like Spanish. That is not true. Um, not at all. I mean, there's a couple of words, but that's about it. And they don't, I found out, Quite embarrassingly, they don't mean the same thing in Portuguese as they mean in Spanish. You might want to research that before you really say something that's not very nice and didn't realize it. So it, it was really weird. to. I wanted so much to be able to communicate with these folks, and I had no ability without an interpreter. It was frustrating. I, I, I was so impressed with the missionaries that were there who, who literally spent, invested three years of their life just to be able to talk to these people. Why? Because they had a message that they needed to communicate. And the message was, there is a God. He is holy and perfect. And he sent his son to die in your place. They would have, I, I'm, I appreciate that so much more, having been to the mission field. But what Paul is saying here, no matter how good you speak the language and your ability to communicate, if there's, if there's no love, it's meaningless. 
It's meaningless. And that point would have really hit home in Greece, in ancient Greece. Um, Because you think about the great philosophers in Athens, and they held their listeners spellbound with their great oratory and their ability to communicate. Even you think of Paul himself when... As he presented the gospel on Mars Hill in Athens, one of the reasons they hung around to listen to him was his ability to communicate and to hold their attention and to speak well. But the whole idea is that without love, electrifying eloquence means zip. It's meaningless. It's also helpful to to know that in ancient Greece, uh, they used loud clanging cymbals to get the attention of their gods. So Paul was using a little bit of a, of, a, of a cultural play on ideas here. So at the end of the day, love is what makes the difference in our communicating. I remember reading about, this was back in the late 1800s. Um, there was a little Midwestern town, just a small hamlet of a town. And it just so happened that a very famous actor who was well known for his oratory and his ability to, to, to speak well and, and hold the crowd's attention. He happened to be traveling through on his way to California by train and stopped over in this town, and they got telegrams saying he was coming. So they, the whole town showed up and had this big reception for him to welcome this, this famous orator. And they pressed upon him at, at this great party that they had for him, would he please stand up and recite the 23rd Psalm? And he, he didn't want to do it, but they, they pushed and pushed. He said, I'll do it on one condition. And they said, name your condition. They said that the parson in town, that when I get done with the 23rd Psalm, that your parson, your, 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 your pastor who uh, shepherds the flock here locally, he'll get up and he'll also recite the 23rd Psalm after I do. And the parson agreed to do that. So the man got up and with the most beautiful words, all of the pauses in the right place, the inflection right where it should be, did a beautiful rendering of the 23rd Psalm and, and the crowd uh, expressed its appreciation with, with great applause. And then a the humble old parson got up and he began to recite the 23rd Psalm from memory. They said when he was done, there wasn't a dry eye in the place. There were no applause. But instead, heads were bowed in grateful prayers of thanksgiving. And there wasn't a dry eye in the place. And finally, one person said to the famous orator, what was the difference? Why is it that your rendition of the 23rd Psalm made us applaud, but the pastor's rendition made us weep? And that great orator said, the only thing I can think of is I knew the words of the 23rd Psalm, but your pastor knew the shepherd. See, because without love, it's meaningless. How's your communication? Here's the second thing. Love's greater than spiritual gifts. Blows spiritual gifts away. Look at verse 2. If I have the gift of prophecy, there's one gift. Underline it in your Bible. Prophecy. And I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. That's the second gift is knowledge. And if I have a faith, that's the third gift, that can remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And it's interesting, because if you'll go back, and I encourage you to do this this afternoon, go back and read chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, and he mentions these gifts by name. These are spiritual gifts. And he mentions them by name in chapter 12. See, because they were having a problem with that. Everyone wanted these flashy gifts, and nobody wanted to clean the bathrooms, basically. You with me? Everyone wanted to be the pastor. Nobody wanted to be the flock. Everyone wanted to lead the worship. Nobody wanted to take up the offering. They wanted all the important gifts that everybody could see, like prophecy and knowledge and faith. 
So Paul is dealing with this problem in chapter 12. And right on the heels of that, he comes out and says, hey, let me tell you something. Spiritual gifts, they are nothing compared to love. And so he mentions the main gifts that they were fighting over and fighting for. Gift of prophecy, the ability to declare God's truth in a powerful, life-changing way. Who would not want that gift? Well, you introverts wouldn't want that gift because that means you have to stand up and say something. I was talking to Stanley the other day, and he was telling me that he, he found uh, Tony Evans, Dr. Tony Evans. He found his radio program. You all ever heard Tony Evans? He's out of Texas. Powerful, gregarious, I mean, has your attention. I love listening to him preach. I actually met him a number of years ago um, at a pastor's event in Phoenix, Arizona. And the funny thing, I was telling this was to Stanley. He couldn't believe it, and I was shocked too. Tony Evans is a massive introvert. You wouldn't know that from his preaching, would you? You would think he was such an extrovert. No, he's an introvert. Matter of fact, it's hard to get two words out of him outside of that pulpit. He's also a bodybuilder. I guess he doesn't have to say much. I don't know. He's a big guy. But he's, a, he's an introvert. He doesn't say much outside of the pulpit. What, what, well, what's the deal? He has the gift of prophecy, of foretelling the word of God with power and conviction, and God changes lives when he speaks. It's just a gift. But without love, it doesn't mean anything. The gift of knowledge, I, li- I like how it says it in the New Living Translation, which, where we memorize it as a family from. It says, and if I knew everything about everything... Do you know anyone who knows everything about everything? Do you all have any teenagers? It's kind of like that. You know, someone said, we just need to ask a teenager how to fix the world while they're still a teenager because they know everything. Um, But yeah, even if I knew everything, I had all knowledge. Imagine what you could do if you had all knowledge. It'd be like the movie Limitless. There's nothing you couldn't figure out and there's nothing you couldn't do. But think about it. If you had all of that, but you didn't love, what would it be worth? What would it actually accomplish? Really nothing. Nothing at all. And then to get the faith, which is the, the unique ability to trust God for great things. The, the get the faith just believes God and takes him at his word and unleashes the power of God to do crazy things. So crazy that Paul uses this great example, which, by the way, he totally stole from Jesus. That says, yeah, you can speak to the mountain, and it'll move. Can you imagine that? Just speaking to the mountain. I mean, I just like to speak to my teenager and see her move. But a mountain, you imagine, speak to a mountain, be cast into the sea, and it throws itself in the ocean. That's faith, huh? Can you imagine having that? He said, you can have you can, you have this awesome gift of faith and pull out all this stuff, and if you don't love, it's a waste of time. You've wasted your time. just doesn't matter spiritual gifts love is better it's greater than even spiritual gifts think about this it's because it's not a gift what is a gift somebody tell me Ben's birthday's coming up Winnie brought him in a, a gift I don't even think he opened it he's carrying that thing around I, I, I don't know what he thinks is in there, but I mean, he, that is, he is, when he, he is treasuring, he's carried that around. He's reminding me like with the three wise men. He's carrying that, that beautiful little gold box around and showing everybody this morning. Did Ben do anything to earn that? No, it's a gift. Winnie just gave it to him because she loves him and he's turning eight. It's a gift. You don't do anything to earn a gift. If you earn it, it's no longer a gift. It's called payment, wages. Right? Are you with me? Spiritual gift is something that you do not earn, but God gives you to use for his glory. It's a supernatural ability. Now listen to this. Somebody needs to hear. It is a supernatural ability that you get when God makes you his child through faith and repentance. And he gives it to you so you can use it. To show people Jesus, to glorify, to make God big, and make God famous. And, and three of those gifts that they were having a problem with, Paul mentions prophecy, knowledge, and faith. My wife has the gift of faith. I happen to have the gift of prophecy, to being able to 
Speak the word of God. It's a great gift. But it's a gift. Notice that love never shows up anywhere in spiritual gifts. You know why? Love is not a gift. Listen to me. Love is a fruit of the Spirit. Fruit is a result. Now, now keep your brain engaged and follow this. God makes me his own through his son, Jesus Christ, and sheds abroad the love of Christ in my heart. You with me? When he does, he gives me supernatural abilities that I did not have before to point people to Jesus. The longer I hang out with God and get to know him, and the Holy Spirit shows me who Jesus is and teaches me what it's like to live as a son of God, the longer I hang out with him, the result is the harvest of hanging out with God is love. It's a fruit, not a gift. I still don't earn it. It's just the result. It's the, it's the Shekinah glory that rubs off on a child of God when he's hanging out with God in the ungrieved spirit. Are you with me? When you, when you get into the holy of holies and you, you discover who God is and God's glory gets all over you, the result of that is the harvest of being with God. And the, and the Bible says singularly the fruit, not the fruits of the Spirit, but the fruit singular is love. And all the other facets fall underneath that joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, goodness, gentleness, meekness against such there is no law. Love has never been a gift that is given unconditionally. It is the result of being unconditionally loved by God. That's why it blows spiritual gifts away. And spiritual gifts are to be motivated by the love that has been shed abroad in our hearts through the Lord Jesus Christ. One more. Real quick, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one, but love is greater than personal sacrifice, verse 3. This is crazy. I mean, this thing goes from crazy to craziest. Verse 1's crazy. Verse 2's crazier. Verse 3 is the bomb when it comes to crazy. Because look what he says. He says, if I give all my possessions to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. I mean, that's the ultimate. He's talking about spiritual gifts, the gift of martyrdom. It's a gift you only get to use once. <laughs> I mean, he said, take it to the ultimate. Just give your body. Die for Christ. But if you do that without love, you died for what? Nothing. You wasted your life. Now, this verse is problematic for us. It's a problem because it asks us to really think about activities that we automatically consider noble. Or good. Isn't it a good thing to help the poor? Is that, I mean, are we not even commanded to do that? Is it not the ultimate good thing to die for our faith in Jesus? Absolutely. However, God says, now put your seatbelt on. Those are good, but they're not enough. You got to be kidding me. No. If you do those things without love, you gain. Nothing. Truth is, we give to many worthy causes for unworthy reasons. Do we not? You ever seen the extreme home makeover? It shows like that. Where they take these fallen down homes and they come in, they fix them all up, and they bring the family back to see their brand new house, and it costs the family nothing. That's a worthy cause. But is it for a worthy reason? Are they doing that out of love? Or are there commercials during that show? Put your brain on, folks. You can do all those good stuff for reasons that aren't good. And you could do it all. But it doesn't matter. So I can sum it up. These three verses, love is greater than eloquent communication, love is greater than spiritual gifts, and love is greater than personal sacrifice. Let me put it this way. Without love, without love, I say nothing, I am nothing, and I gain nothing. You got it? 
Without love, my words are meaningless. My actions are meaningless. And my giving is meaningless. Let me illustrate it this way, and then I'm going to close today, because I want you to really... I've laid all that out because I want to say one thing at the end, which would mean just a, just a few short minutes. But let's, let's, let's look at this through the power of numbers. Through the power of numbers. Um, what do you get when you add 10 plus 15? What do you get? 25. This is, this is not common core math. I'm, this is straight stuff, okay? I'm not trying to trick anybody. Now, now suppose we multiply 10 times 15. Then we get what? 150. Now let's really take it up. Suppose you multiply 1 million times 1,000, you end up with a number called 1 billion with a B. What number, for all you math nerds, my son's sitting up in the balcony, what number comes after billion? Trillion. That's right. And then there's quadrillion. And above that is a number called quintillion from the number 5. And that one is followed, check this out, by 18 zeros. A one with 18 zeros. All right, so you got this number, one quintillion, one with 18 zeros. You with me? All right. So let's multiply one quintillion, you ready? Get your calculators out, times zero. One quintillion times zero equals what? Zero. zero. It's the power of zero. And that's the power of love. One quintillion, a life done with, all, with eloquent communication and, and, and amazing gifts and abilities to understand and knowledge and passion and faith and even sacrificing, sacrificing. Yeah, there's a new word I made. Just made it up. Even sacrificing and giving to others and doing all these worthy things, all of it, without love, is like multiplying one quintillion times zero. At the end of the day, it equals nothing. Am I clear today? Okay. You can pile it all up, and it means nothing. When William Barclay, the great theologian, came to the end of his comments on this passage... He noted that it calls for a searching personal self-examination. And that's what I'm asking you to do today. These three short verses, they challenge us to take an honest look at what we do and what we say in the light of this agape love that sacrifices, here it is, with no strings attached. Love means doing things God's way. It means responding in kindness when we've been repeatedly mistreated. Loving with no strings. We talked about that in a small group this morning. Now here's the danger. And this is what I really want to say in conclusion today. The danger in preaching a sermon like this about love is that we get all fired up and the temptation is to conclude with this type of application or challenge. Now let's all get out there and really love people. I mean, come on gang, let's get out there and give it the old college try and love everybody we meet this week. Now we should do that. But we need to understand that that misses the point Stay with me now. And it puts the emphasis in the wrong place. Now I got your attention. At the end of the day, love is not about us. Are you with me? At the end of the day, love is not about us. Love is about God. And since God is love, follow this logic, then all true love, all agape love, starts with Him 
and comes down what? To us. If we want to be more loving, so how can I do that, preacher? How can I pull this off? Well, you ready? Write this down. You can't. You cannot. Where you start. But God can. So now answer your own question. How can I be more loving? I can be intricately and intimately connected with the God who is love. And until then, you don't have a prayer of loving. And you don't have a clue. All of your love is going to be tainted with strings that are attached. And your love is really idolatry. It's saying, you do something I like, I'm going to give you props so you keep doing that. You do something I don't like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make these little statements and do these little things to hurt your feelings. So that you learn, don't ever do that to me again. My wife and I were first dating. I w- I'm glad she's not in here. She's in a nursery today. She always gets in my stories and messes them up. I said, woman, I don't ever let the truth get in the way of a good story. Stay out of my preaching. But I do remember this. She, done, she did something. We were dating. We were in the car driving somewhere. She did something. And I remember I stopped the car and I turned around and I said, let me tell you something. That won't fly. That don't work with me. That was a negative carving tool. That was a negative carving I didn't want her. That was not love. That was idolatry. I was basically saying, woman... I am a little G God, and this is how I want to be worshipped, and that is not going to work in, in, in the worship of Paul. And being wise, she turned to me, being a good idolater, and she goes, well, that won't work for me either. <laughs> right? So what do we do? We spent years just carving on each other, and we called it love. And, and, and we came to realize as we, as we begin to grow in our faith, that I don't have any hope of loving her, and she don't have any hope of loving me until, listen, until we love God and receive the love of God. Only then can I give the agape love that comes only from Him. Am I making sense this morning? During the 17th century, Sir Oliver Cromwell, the Lord Protector of England, sentenced a soldier to die for his crimes. He was to be shot. And the execution was to take place at the ringing of the evening curfew bell. And at the appointed hour, the bell did not ring. Upon investigation, it was discovered that the soldier's fiance had climbed into the belfry and clung to the great clapper of the bell to prevent it from striking. When she was summoned by Cromwell to account for her actions, she wept as she showed him her bruised and bleeding hands. Cromwell's heart was touched, and he said, Your lover shall live because of your sacrifice. Curfew shall not ring tonight. Through his sacrifice... Jesus Christ has stayed our execution. The judgment bell will never toll for us. The proof of his love is in his bruised body and his bloody hands. And because of his love, we live. And so now I end where I started today. With the words of Dr. Carl Menninger. Love is the medicine for the sickness of the world. And indeed it is. And if we want to know what love looks like, we can go to the cross and see love made flesh dying for us. Would you like that kind of love in your life? Would that kind of love make a difference? I'm here to tell you today, that kind of love is yours for the asking. It is yours for the taking today. To live in love is to be just like Jesus. More specifically, is to get out of the way and let Jesus express his no-strings-attached love to everybody else in your life. And that's when Jesus' statement in John 13, 35 becomes a reality 
And that is, as he spoke to his disciples, by this will all men know that you are my people. If you just love each other. If you just let me love your neighbor through you. And what I want to say in conclusion today, we've talked about the, the supremacy of love, the preeminence of love. And I'm here to tell you, you can't do it. That's God's love. That word agape is in a whole nother, it means love, but it's in another universe. And the only way to bring it down into your world is to find it at the foot of a cross in an empty tomb. Because until you experience the love of God, you have no ability to give away that which you do not have. And if you're here today and you don't know him, say, preacher, how do I know if I don't know him? Look at your life. Do you love or is it idolatry? You'll know them by their fruit. Is the fruit in your life the fruit of the Spirit or the fruit of the flesh? And if we get real honest about it and we don't know Him, then my urge to you today is to run to Him. Flee to the cross. Experience the love. And then give it away. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you today admitting that you have shown us what love is. And you have told us that love must be our greatest aim. So help us to remember that without love, our words just don't matter. And our knowledge is empty. And all that we give is insignificant. And all we accomplish is inadequate. And we thank you that your love has been shed abroad, literally poured into our hearts through the Lord Jesus Christ. And it has to find an outlet. And the outlet is everybody you have placed sovereignly in our lives right now. Help us to walk out that love this week. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.